I don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Robbie Robbie weekly. Little reverse pass. And Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. This podcast is brought to you by Volkswagen, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Gavin Casey here in studio, joined in studio by Andy Dunn. How are you, Andy? I'm very well, thanks, Gavin. Good, and we're joined on the line as well by Murray Kinsella in Japan. How are things, Murray? Konnichiwa, lads. All good here, yeah. Really excited for the weekend. Uh, Not a couple of brilliant matches to look forward to. (laughs) You're blending in anyway, Murray. You've done that well. Flawless pronunciation. Let's talk about that Ireland team that was named this morning. Interesting team, actually. Uh, Chris Farrell starting at inside centre, Rob Carney back, Keith Earls back. Murray, what was your reaction to it? Yeah, probably a long expected-ish line said Johnny Sexton, it became apparent as the week went on, wasn't wasn't really going to feature. Um, and it looks like Joey Carberry, they don't think he has probably that 50 or 60 minutes stint in him just yet. He'll come back from his injury off the bench, but it is an exciting Ireland team, I think. Um, Jack, Jack Conan was actually penciled in to start for Ireland as well. Unfortunately for him, he's been really unlucky. He's picked up a bit of a foot issue in training. Joe Schmidt said someone actually stood on him. I'm not sure if that really was the case, but if it was, that's bloody unlucky. So he uh, misses out. And Peter Omani, who was going to be rested, comes back into the, t- the the pack and essentially have the same pack as last week, which maybe in the long term is a good thing because you get that cohesion uh, built there. But but in the back line, Carney and Earls, we know what they can do for Ireland. They'll be solid and reliable and probably eager to make an impression after the the two guys who played 14 and 15 last week did, did so well. Chris Farrell, I thought, was excellent off the bench, filling in for Bundyaki last time. He, he got up to speed really quickly and showed a bit of his class with that offload, as, as well as running some excellent lines and a couple of line breaks, as well as the, the physicality he always brings. So, yeah, all in all, it's, a, it's an exciting Ireland team. Reese Rudder comes in on the bench to get an opportunity as well, and uh, as we mentioned, Carberry back as well. So, yeah, loads to look forward to in this. Yeah, Andy, particularly the backs, probably an interesting selection with Carberry on the bench. Carty gets the nod. And uh, interesting to see Farrell at 12 as well. What, was your, what were your thoughts on the team? I think very deserving for Carty to start in a, in a, in a meaningful uh, international for Ireland for his first time. Um, he's He's got buckets and buckets of, of football in him. He, You know, his, his background, he's... He played Irish under 15s, I think, didn't he? Um, soccer, and he, he kept, um, was it Doherty off the Irish under 15s team as a central defender? Um, he played with Robbie King, or um, what's his name? Uh, Hendrick was on the team with him, Jeff, Jeff Hendrick, yeah. uh, and Robbie Brady, I think. So, yeah, he's, he's, he's always had loads of skill about how he plays, and um, in the initial season or two for, for Connacht I think what he learned was was a bit better game management and, and making slightly more pragmatic choices but what vitally he didn't lose his ability to do the unexpected and he didn't lose his courage and he still does the unexpected at, at a very high level of execution which adds a huge aspect to our play in terms of variation and defensive teams finding it hard to read what he might do when he's running an Irish backline or a Connacht backline and I think he deserves it um, he's leapfrogged Carberry in, in recent weeks because of Joey's injury and that's just professional sport the rootless nature of it um, I wonder 
you know, if, if he's a very good 45, 50 minutes and Joey comes on for 30 minutes and does well, you'd wonder what the Irish management are going to do in a quarter final. And I'd probably still say they would plumb for Joey because he's he's going to cover more positions. He'll cover fullback as well um, in a big quarter final game. But but a deserving start from um, in terms of Farrell, a brilliant uh, performance against Scotland. Also, he's always had um, the ability to be a, a big physical target man, but with with very nuanced skill set beside that which probably goes underappreciated I think his distribution is excellent off both hands so he adds he, he's he's again adds variation to our attack very exciting and then in the pack um, I was slightly surprised to see the, the front five get selected again just based on how well they did the last day and the fact we're coming up against Japan and um, but then again, I suppose Samoa and Russia, maybe maybe they're figuring they're going to give the the second choice guys, John Ryan or, or Scanlon or Cronin, a start in, in either of those games. Um, so maybe he just wants them to get another hit out. But um, and I'd be I'd I'd be slightly mischievous here, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's more to the Jack Conan story that you know you see at World Cups historically Wayne Rooney and was it Beckham with the fifth metatarsal if you get your foot stood on um, it has to be pretty severe to miss a World Cup game to start so I mean if it was bruising he'd probably get on with it Is there there much talk to that effect actually Murray over there about Jack Conan's injury? Yeah well it only became apparent to right like literally before they named the team he was actually down penciled into the, the, the starting side until earlier on today um, so it's obviously a very fresh mm. issue he was struggling in pre-season with a kind of ankle foot issue that they hadn't fully disclosed I'm not sure to be honest if it's the same thing or if it's something new um, and we don't quite know the, the extent of it yes Ireland seem to be indicating that they expect everyone to be fit for the Russia game next up um, and probably included Conan in that bracket so I guess we wait and see it is just really unfortunate for him. He would have been so excited to to get that starting mm. opportunity at number eight. Having it also impressed off the bench, I thought, yeah. in those two stints last weekend, he um, possibly didn't get the kind of space to carry that he tries in. But when he did carry, he carried well. And then there was so much effort and work rate in his, even his ruck work. He hit, he hit a lot of rucks and made a lot of tackles and really fe- uh, made his impact felt in that way. So it's tough on him. Um, and I guess, yeah, we wait to see the extent of that issue. We have a question on the question on the back row from the WhatsApp group but just before I get to that curious to hear your thoughts Andy on CJ Stander and Jack Owen and that and that dynamic since last weekend like do you think based on what we saw of Stander against Scotland that he kind of moves up the pecking order again or would you still be a Conan guy if you were choosing the back row I am um, I would still pick Conan yeah I, I think CJ did very well against Scotland and a much improved performance um, and he was opportunistic you know the line the line break he took through the rook was was just smart play you know and it was nice to see him recognise that and and take advantage of it he does so much work that is thankless and that's always to be admired but his his overall dynamism and his his ex- explosive uh, aspects of his game seem to be dwindling um, whereas I think Conan's is on the on the opposite traje- trajectory, and even though CJ is very hard to to pick a, f- a fault in his game, um, I just think Conan has a an all round a greater threat. He's probably faster across the ground. I think he's a better handler in contact in terms of freeing up 
the ball and making offloads. Um, and then just as an all an all rounder, number eight, I would I would still plump for Conan ahead of him. Yeah, but he did have a very very good um, performance against Scotland. CJ, where would you stand with that dilemma, Murray? Just that Conan standard axis. Yeah, I thought CJ Sander was excellent um, last time out. I think he's probably felt the sting of criticism and the sting of this narrative. Certainly when we see him for media stuff now, he seems a little bit more standoffish and probably I would say has been a little bit hurt by some of the, the criticism of the team and, and his own form in, in the last while. I think he's answered that well. I thought physically he does look a little bit lighter almost after the preseason, a little bit more mobile. Um, obviously no one looked like that against England, but I think since then, He's certainly uh, bearing the fruits of the, the physical work they've done. Oh, I find it really tough now, to be honest. I was, I was excited to see them play and start together in that in that back row, and I think that's the real shame of it because it essentially allows Ireland to play two different ways, and they keep talking about not having a first-choice team or having the ability to do different things with their back row, and that certainly would have been, would have been one of them. I'd probably go back again to Sanders' leadership as well. He's part of that group with Ireland and has been there for so many big occasions, and I know that for Schmidt... That is a that is a big factor as well. I suppose if you ask me from a personal perspective, I would love that Jack Conan could be in that team and bring that mobility and offloading ability that other guys maybe don't have. I think Ireland only had what two offloads lowest of any team probably in the first round of games in the World Cup. Um, and I know that's not everything, but just from a personal perspective, that would be it. Um, just to jump back briefly, I think it is just such a good story that Jack Carty has risen this quickly from seven, just over seven months ago not being an Ireland international. To, to now starting a, a really big World Cup fixture for them. A year ago, if you'd said this to him, I think he probably would have laughed at you. But his improvement is just remarkable. He's mentally looking so strong and he, he's done a lot of work with that. He works with a specialist coach down in Galway on that side of the game. He's been inspired. He, he mentioned after his debut by the sad passing of his, of his cousin, Brian, who told him, you know, go out there and don't have regrets and, and don't leave um, stones unturned. And he, he's really done that with his game. Even look at his defence now. Last weekend, he came on, made seven tackles. Two of them were really good shots on Sam Johnson. And he's turned that weakness in his game into something where he's actually enjoying going and tackling people. And he's really backed his tactical kicking. Andy Friend and Connacht has been excellent for his confidence in that regard. To, to go and find territory as well as use those lovely creative touches that, that Andy mentioned. That's just such a positive for Ireland to have that in their team because while he does obviously have to play within that structure, like it is encouraging that Ireland are, are allowing him to to almost bring those touches and be instinctive to grubber that little kick through for Chris Farrell to run onto without even thinking about it, potentially against the run of the structure in, in that instance. So it's excellent for them to have that uh, ability to, to open up the game. And I think Carberry can probably do the same as well. They're different players to Johnny Sexton, but that's a good thing. You want different players and different options. And, and it's just such an exciting occasion for him. I think his family were over here last week. I'm not sure if they're still around still around at the moment, but massive for Athlone and all the people who've put a, a time and effort into him with Buccaneers and Maris College as well. Just it'll be a really proud day for them. So um, best of luck to him, I guess, on his uh, massive opportunity. Yeah, I think a proud day as well for Peter Wilkins, the Connacht defence coach, because that was the one area, as Murray mentioned, and he was maybe lacking in his game somewhat, but he's actually putting in big enough hits now. And when you add that to his game, like he's nearly the complete player, really, isn't he? Like in terms of just all-round talent. Yeah, it's always really nice to see, I think, a rugby player who's 
got a bit of football in them because you don't see it all that much. I suppose if the squad are doing a bit of light training and they're playing five aside in the gym, he's going to be first pick <laughs> on anyone's <laughs> team. But he's got, he's uh, he's added that. Uh, yeah, you know the the natural the natural uh, process in in rugby training in an off season for any player is you you become physically stronger because it's it's just of such vital importance in the modern game. So he's while he hasn't significantly bulked up, I'm sure he is physically stronger by the objective ways they measure that. And that will give him additional confidence when you go into contact. Um, the likes of Peter Wilkins, I'm sure, you know, the defensive qualities that, that he can coach into a player might be something as, as simple, it sounds simple as your footwork going into the tackle which can make the whole thing a lot more effective and if you're if it's been thrown at a player before where you know they're not that great defensively you often see their their, their defensive footwork is not that good and there's there's not a lack of will or, or courage but they're getting swatted off in tackles because their feet are too far away from the attacker and the, you know you really you make the tackle with your legs and your arms do do a bit more soaking particularly if you're a smaller player so yeah he's definitely added that into his game which does kind of complete um the, the full kind of circle of what his his range of talents are yeah he's he's top drawer i think at the moment yeah there's a question here from ben in the whatsapp group uh with the 42 members members.the42.e if you want to sign up there he asks, asks, has Carty overtaken Carberry or is it to do with training minutes? I think we probably know more about that when Carberry is actually back into the swing of things in terms of match fitness. But certainly for this one, it's probably just a case that Carty is motoring along nicely and Carberry yeah. is just coming straight back in and can probably do it half an hour. Going back to the back row then, if you don't mind, lads, Phil Callanan has a question. Any thoughts on why they reverted to Omani after Conan's injury instead of promoting Ruddock from the bench? Good question, actually. Might start with yourself there, Murray. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, they were uh, Joe was asked about uh, Peter Manny getting more game time, and he said, "Listen, he's as eager as anyone to play, particularly given that he didn't actually get to complete the game last time out. He, he only has what was it, twenty six, twenty five minutes under his belt. So essentially, he didn't really get that game under his belt. And I think they probably feel he needs the game time with a view ahead to the quarter final, and that's probably the thinking there." Joe Schmidt kind of underlined pretty uh, strongly how he'd come through those HIA tests with, with flying colours as well and how symptom-free they were himself and Bundy or Bundy Aki early on the week. Um, I think it's probably as simple as that, really. Omani came off so early last time out that they feel he needs a game and this late change with Conan gave them the chance to do that. Yeah, fair enough. Andy is, Andy, is, Andy is nodding in agreement here. Um there's uh, a few more questions in the WhatsApp group as well. Uh, we'll get to Wales, Australia in a moment. Uh, a question from Barry Lampkin, actually, and I think we can throw this to both of you guys, but he says, what do you think we should look look out for in terms of work-ons following the Scotland game? Capitaling, capitalising better on line breaks comes to mind as one. Andy, might start with yourself there. <clears throat> yeah, we beat, I think we'd 17 defenders beaten, uh, which is a big improvement, and we'd 10 clean line breaks, but we'd only three offloads. So... What's his name? Barry Lampkin. Barry is, I think... Friend a, of the show. Friend of the show. Um, I think he's spot on. You'd love to see 10 line breaks um, maybe translate directly more into, into tries, for example, but um, or at least more offloads. So 
the danger in our in our game I think is that in in the the low points of 2019 when we were, we were arguably at our worst on, in under Joe Schmidt's tenure we were so uh, systematic that if a line break happened the support runners weren't conditioned to follow through and uh, and therefore guys were getting isolated if they made a line break so the natural tendency then is to <clears throat> not look to be the defender and not look for a line break because if you get isolated you lose the ball so you'd end up looking at the floor hitting a rook and it becomes turgid enough and that that's definitely part of what happened so now if we're if we're things look to have have evolved thankfully and and it's to be applauded because lots of great teams go through low periods in form and you do have to adapt and change but we've we've added in suddenly it seems we've added in the capacity to beat defenders one-on-one with, with increased line breaks um so yeah it would be it probably won't matter as much against japan um or samoa or russia but it's going to matter hugely against South Africa if we manage to get anywhere near 10 clean line breaks against the South Africans we need to convert way more and we need support runners condition to flood through and, and help whoever the line the man is who made the line break and we've got to convert so um, yeah it's it's something we are definitely improving and was really heartening to see against Scotland so hopefully we just build from there now again in the Japan game and it, it, there's, a, there's an element of confidence that comes with taking those risks so it would be nice to see it continue on the same path Is there is the ability to break the line the big one for you Murray or are there other facets of the game that you saw against Scotland that we could maybe move on against Japan in preparation for a potential quarterfinal? Yeah, that's definitely the the major one is when you get into that 22. Obviously, they started really well. Their first three visits, they scored tries, and you think, wow, they're going to be unbelievably ruthless here. Almost once they got that big lead, it it, it kind of eased off, and there's loads of little bits. Like, that's the way Josh works. He picks out the little bits in it rather than the overall philosophical issue. He'll pick out Johnny Sexton and Connor Murray being really poor with their kind of rock arrival when Jacob Stockdale did that brilliant chip it was a lovely little simple scrum play actually when he chipped up the left hand side regathered beat Stuart Hogg um, and I think Sam Johnson tracked back to tackle him and they're just really sloppy at the ruck there uh, even the one where Farrell off, offloads behind his back to Luke McGrath the, the fact that they didn't finish that really nice line break would have frustrated him hugely and you'll probably look at the support play there it was interesting that Scotland kind of shot themselves in the foot by overrunning a lot of uh, breakdown arrivals they were looking for passes and offloads and oftentimes they were then left under resourced and Ireland ended up with six turnovers at the breakdown sometimes down to that the Scottish support players actually being up ahead of the ball so you probably have to get a, a really good balance there um, but definitely finishing off those opportunities listen there's loads in the Ireland game when you go back and look at it yes absolutely a, a really good performance but there are little bits and pieces in all areas really like their defence was excellent but at, at times Scotland let themselves down with their decision making even we mentioned Gav on, on the members podcast uh, yesterday I think it was about when Stockdale goes and takes out Hogg beyond the ball if if that pass goes the front door then Scotland probably score a try uh, there was obviously the line break late on and even in the line where they were 12 out of 12 in terms of stats they actually had three really scrappy wins as well so those little bits are the things that Ireland will have an opportunity to focus on in what is an, a, a short six day turnaround but yeah being more clinical when they when they get into the 22 is is the, definitely the big team of the week for them, um, and that comes down to those those little bits and pieces around the rock and around support lines and making good decisions on the ball as well. 
To touch upon the lineup again very briefly, a question here from Gar in that WhatsApp group. He says, are you surprised at Rory Best starting after a full 80 when Peter Romani is already on the pitch as a possible captain, Andy? Yeah, I am. I, I, he was brilliant. Um, he did everything he had to do. He gets a lot of stick, for myself included, in the past. And uh, he completed a full 80, 12 out of 12. I know one or two sketchy ones, but we still got 12 out of 12. Um, and obviously scored the try. Um, yeah, I would have thought. Um, I would. That's why I was just surprised that the entire front five on block has has, has started again. Um, I w- primarily because you know we're looking to, for example, if we, if we're playing South Africa Saturday, I'm sh- likely as Johnny Sexton would start carrying a niggle, um, but we're prepared to protect Johnny. Um, and while the the five front five are obviously fully one hundred percent fit. If we lose um, Furlong, you know, through bad luck or something, we're we're equally as compromised as if we lost, if not more so, if we lost Murray or Sexton. Um, now John Ryan coming in would be excellent. We've we've good cover um, on the loose head side with Kilcoyne for uh, Healy, and then we've got the hybrid prop in in uh, Porter. So um, I just think I just think there's. You, you, look, it's so easy sitting here, but uh, there's, there's definitely reason for them giving the lads another run out. Whether they think they just need to increase their match fitness, and this is the next biggest game to, to South Africa now. After with Samoa and Russia, probably I'd imagine they're going to run out the, the rest of the group or give them opportunities. So there's obviously method to what they're doing. I, I just from an injury risk point of view, I was surprised to see best starting again. Yeah, to get another eighty and and furlong. Is it just the case, Murray, that, I mean, even if you were to taper off in those two games that we mentioned uh, that remain in the pool, somebody like Furlong, as Andy says, you just get a stroke of bad luck and get injured in any game. It mightn't necessarily be yeah, against that, Japan. but It can happen at any time in rugby, so you can't protect against it either, you know. So. Yeah. What, what, are, what are your impressions of, of best starting, Murray, particularly with, um, with yeah. the fact that Peter Romani is there and capable of obviously leading the team and will lead the team as well in his own right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have to say I was surprised, particularly after they left him out there for the 80 minutes. And as Andy said, he got through so much work, really visual work. Watching him back to have a look at the rooks as well, he was the most involved of any Irish player. 42 kind of rook contributions. Now, a lot of them were kind of standing guard over the ball. But he had some really good clearouts in there as well. And he was tackling right until the end. So he certainly showed that he's still fit enough at 37. And that had been the chat that he put in a really good preseason. So we kind of saw that. Uh, with our very own eyes in in, in, a, in a match situation, I, I had thought he would be uh, rotated out of the team for this game, but I guess they're just thinking that these are the two tough tests in in the pool stage. Um, and as I mentioned earlier on, I think they were tempted by the fact that they can get cohesion into that pack, that starting pack, which looks looks so good last weekend, um, and get more game time with that combination, especially in the in the front five. Um, and build from there but yeah I don't think he'll be going the full 80 this this time around but really impressive stuff from, from him On the Japanese side of things then Murray I think you were down at the press conference there um, just looking at their selection like dropping your captain for arguably your biggest game or maybe your second biggest game of the pool stages is quite the statement from Jamie Joseph the head coach Yeah it is it's massive he has really struggled with injury for the last year essentially spent months on the sideline and only made his comeback in the build-up to this World Cup and has probably struggled to get up to speed and people probably aren't as 
familiar with their back row options, but the, the three guys they picked are really excellent players. Jimeno, who moves to blindside, was outstanding again against the Russians, and he's just been a revelation since he's come into the team, really. Uh, he has this brilliant tendency to do that James Lowe trick where he gets carried, you think you've tackled him, he gets tackled, you think of him on the ground and he bounces back up and goes again, so watch out for that. Um, and then Amanaki Mafi, who comes back in at number eight after a shoulder injury, he's really explosive. I'm sure people have seen him play Super Rugby with the Rebels. Uh, obviously a, a checkered history off the pitch, but he's a, a really powerful athlete. And then Lapis Gagne, the, who actually captains the team, a South African native who's recently kind of qualified under the residency rule, he's a kind of classic open side and links it all together. So it was a tough decision, I would say. But yeah, dropping your captain is still a big call, even with that lack of form that he's probably shown and the, the unluckiness he's had with his injury um, issues this year. Also interesting to see 38-year-old Luke Thompson, former BlackRock or FC player. He's in the, the second row. They bring him back in and it's incredible. I think he's the oldest player in the World Cup. He's still, uh, still motoring. He was at the press conference today and he said his fondest memories of Ireland are actually just the people uh, everyone was so welcoming and uh, made him feel at home so he has some fond memories I'm sure some great nights <laughs> with the Blackrock club um, and then a change obviously at 15 as well because they just have struggled massively in the air over the last two games and Ireland are certainly coming after them there there's going to be a lot of aerial contest you'll see Jack Hardy using his kicking game both in terms of hanging up there and, and mixing up and, and making their back three make tough decisions. So Yamanaka comes in at 15, and that means Will Tupo, who really struggled to, to catch the ball and obviously gave away that early try from Russia when he just was so front on facing up the pitch and, and spilled the ball. He's over onto the wing, and they'll, they'll hope to improve hugely in that area. There was plenty of chat about the Ireland scrum this week over here. Um, one of the younger props who actually isn't involved in this match day squad even. I'm sure he's regretting massively what he said. Basically, um, his name is Yusuke Kizu. He said, he was asked about his impression of Ireland scrum. He said, their loose head prop steps out. He tries to attack you from the side. That's my impression, obviously indicating he thinks they're pretty illegal. Joe Schmidt was asked about it today and he delivered this brilliant kind of technical analysis of the legality of Ireland scrum. He was talking about the axis and how you rotate around that. And uh, he kind of just finished up saying that's, they were surprised by what Kizu had to say for himself and that it'll definitely motivate Keane Healy when it comes to the scrum. Um, then back across town, Jamie Joseph kind of doubled down. He said, yeah, I think they're t they're illegal at times. So that's going to be a fun part of the, the weekend, definitely. Um, I, I, I'm not too surprised with those changes. I know dropping your captain is big, but the, the three back rows that Japan have picked are, are really excellent. And it is a good team and there are there is potential for an upset, but Ireland picking their strong team as well I'll be without sex and probably points out that they're they're well aware of the danger. Yeah, Andy, we obviously expect Ireland to win this game, but where do you see it being won and lost? And if there is potential for an upset, where do you think that comes from in, in Japanese terms? Any potential for an upset, I think, would be how the Japanese have approached I mean, um, this World Cup in its entirety. For I think for the last 18 to 24 months have trained at a level of fitness that is probably higher than most other teams would have focused on. I mean, most other teams will, will focus on, on areas like multi-factorial, the scrum, the line-out. Apparently, the Japanese um, have trained with a view to keeping the ball in play for an average of 50-plus minutes. I think the average for an, an international in the last couple of seasons is about 43 minutes. So they've designed most of their strategy around keeping the ball alive for longer 
using the full width of the fields, using using um, the resources they have, which is they're not as, as physically commanding across the board as most teams will be. So they've got to play rugby in a different in a different way, which is always very pleasing on the eye. To, you know, to to use the full width of the field, keep the ball off the floor, try to reduce the emphasis on on set piece plays, and and ultimately tire out teams in the humidity which they're more used to. So that's definitely been attack an approach from from Japan. I spoke to um, the Irish skills coach of the USA, Greg McWilliams, who they played Japan about four weeks ago. And he, he was at that stage when we were all at a heightened level of sensitivity about Ireland's progress. Um, I remember being certainly being worried about the Scottish game based on how, how dodgy we looked in the English game. Um, but Greg was saying they had just played Japan and he was he was worried just by the the intensity of play Japan could bring in hot conditions over an extended period of time. So I think that's probably the only danger for the Irish side that they can just keep the ball alive for such long periods and if, and make us tire and make some poor decisions. However, I I'd be amazed if Japan go into this at full throttle, having seen the result of the Scotland game. I I I, I suspect Japan are going to just try and hold, like, have an honourable performance, see how it goes, but full on go for the kill against Scotland in the last group game, which again makes life a lot easier for Ireland on Saturday. But if they've one chance to, to qualify out of the group, it's probably not this Saturday. It's in three weeks against the Scottish Flakes. They'll probably go full throttle to begin with, and then if the game gets away from them, they'll say, "Okay, let's take our foot off the gas here and prepare for Scotland." But I don't think they're going to go in at seventy-five no, percent in front of their own no, fans. There's no such thing, really, when it comes down to the game, and there's no player going to go in seventy-five percent aggression into the tackle. <laughs> yeah, hard to get in a world to manage anyway. Yeah. But but in the background, whether it's it's subliminal almost from from a coaching team. You know, there there's lots of conversations that happen over the course of a week. They would have sat down and watched the Ireland Scotland game together. They probably would have said after that, okay, here are the five weaknesses in the Scottish team, and whether that's subliminal, but you know, every you know, it's a home World Cup. They're going to have huge support, and the better they are, the more momentum it creates. Um, but notwithstanding that they'd be foolish not to just completely target the Scottish game and with, a, with a commendable effort on Saturday against us. Yeah, speaking of tournament momentum, Murray, the winner of that Wales-Australia game, which is one of the games I think we're most looking forward to in the pool stage, will take serious momentum, I think, into a quarter-final, just in the fact that they'll have already beaten one of their sort of joint favourites for the tournament. Uh, looking at the, that game, how do you see that playing out and which way would you be leaning it from this juncture as to who'll win that one? Yeah, it's a fascinating one, and especially with Fiji having lost to Uruguay, as we discussed in our podcast yesterday, it really opened up that pool for for one of those two teams, obviously, to kind of stamp their um, ability all over it. Before we actually went to the game, it's worth mentioning this pretty remarkable stuff that's come out of the Reese Hodge uh, disciplinary report. He obviously got a three-game ban for his high tackle. I was just having a look at the report from the... <laughs> from the, the disciplinary hearing and he said the, the, the actual quote from the, the report is that 
the player, i.e. Hodge, conceded that he had no effective knowledge of World Rugby's decision-making framework for high tackles, had not been trained on it, was not across it because the tackles he makes are predominantly in the waist-to-knees area, which uh, the panel says is of general concern, and we'll comment on this later. <laughs> Pretty crazy defence to, to claim that you had no knowledge of this framework that World Rugby have been highlighting everywhere and obviously was, was sent around to teams. And I think Alain Roland actually went and visited all of the Tier 1 nations to present on them um, on the the framework to them, so that's pretty remarkable stuff. Um, and we'll find out more about how he didn't actually understand what is a massive part of the world rugby refereeing kind of focus for this tournament, and has been a major talking point already, as we suspected. In terms of the game itself, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they both back up their first performances. Australia, I thought, showed a tactical maturity in getting past Fiji, having had a poor start and put themselves in trouble with a couple of those crazy decisions you associate with them, like throwing that quick five-metre line out and getting tackled back over their try line. Obviously, the try that Nia Salevu scored was a, a really poor pass from Karevi that goes to ground, and, and it's an easy score. I think they settled into their mauling and being focused on territory, and that showed me some, I guess, that maturity I mentioned in terms of how they actually manage the game and, and react on the pitch. That's encouraging from their point of view. Wales against Georgia who were really poor, especially in that set-piece defence. But Wales were clinical in taking advantage and certainly didn't seem to be too affected by the massive story that Rob Howley going home was. They seemed very focused. Actually, both sides were brilliant off set-piece. I think all of Australia's tries came from scrum and line-out platforms. And Wales obviously had those two inside passes off the line-outs for brilliant scores. So it'll be really interesting to see how both teams maybe adapt their defence to those threats and then also what else they have up their sleeves. It's a really tough one to call. I think um, I'd probably be actually leaning even to more toward Wales at the moment, just based on their solidity in defence um, and and the impressive way they reacted to to losing Howley. Like, there's no one better than Warren Gatland for turning adversity or um, drama into a strength, and he's really good at focusing minds and having people mentally in, in really good spaces. So probably just slightly leaning towards them. Yeah, and he is a connoisseur of the aesthetically pleasing game of rugby. <laughs> Were you impressed by life under Stephen Jones as it began against Georgia? Um, yeah, I think I think it was. It's tapered by the fact that Georgia looked quite poor defensively. Um, they looked they looked poor even in physical contact, which you wouldn't expect. The Georgian stereotype being, you know, the the front five chunky, dark haired. Uh, Bahamut who just comes in and, and you know they're littered throughout the, the French uh, top 14 you, you see a lot of Georgian front five um, but even in around close to the, the breakdown the ruck they were they were losing collisions against the Welsh obviously the Welsh are pretty physical too but I you would have at least uh, expected as a, as a baseline from Georgia that they're going to front up physically and not lose collisions and make life difficult so they um, they pro- that probably made the Welsh attack look a little bit more dangerous than than it probably was. They they didn't they weren't entirely, um, you know, cutting lines and and creating space everywhere. So it was, it's difficult to ascertain. Um, I like I I would agree with Murray in terms of um, Gatland is 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 he's some man for 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 uh, for turning adversity into a, a positive he's done this for years and very interesting to see it you know how they've they've managed to to really effectively 
quieting down and damping down any furore around Howley, which is quite a huge story. Um, and, and in one way he's done it is he's just espoused the virtues of Stephen Jones coming in and saying, OK, this is a guy who's got an, a number of brilliant creative ideas. He's one of our own. He's very welcome among the group. He's very respected. And, and Gatland is has said we're going to take on some of his new ideas even though it's right in the midst of of a of a world cup we're not going to show you know bring him in and just ask him to be a square peg in a round hole in our system so that's that's kind of gatland that is pragmatic best um the really the the one thing about this game i i just it's such an extraordinary communications gaffe from you know hodge would have gone into that hearing with legal counsel, with a, with a PR and media team, and somehow, whether he's been advised or he just didn't listen to the advice, to go and say he just doesn't understand the, the tackle laws as an international, particularly in light of the fact that World Rugby did something unprecedented during the week and came out and said the referees have been pretty much appalling and they're not working to the letter of the law. You've now got a set of referees whose tails are up, who have a target on their back, who are going to... And then they went out in the Samoa game and meet like less than 10 hours after that ruling and, and didn't miss a few more things. Yeah, they bottled it essentially. So, so World Rugby are going after the refs. Everyone's aware of the laws. It's going to compromise Australia now. It has to compromise Australia in the, in the eyes of the refereeing community when players are coming out and saying well look it was never really explained to me I don't understand it I, I just find it extraordinary that in the world of professional sport where things are so homogenised and controlled and you rarely get anything of interest out of a player um, but for, for to get it that for that way off the spectrum crazy <laughs> comment it's just uh, yeah I don't know Murray like any more on that but it's it's quite extraordinary isn't it yeah, it's absolutely insane. Like, my only, like, like, maybe he's pretending that he didn't know because he thinks that'll help his defence. Like, like that could be it. I, I almost don't believe him when he when he's saying that he hasn't been trained in the tackle framework, especially considering he's been involved in games. He was in the, he was pl- playing in that New Zealand game where they, where Scott Barrett got red carded, wasn't he? I'm, I'm pretty certain. So he's definitely. I, I can't see how he wouldn't have an awareness of it. He says he hasn't been trained on it either, which just seems crazy and seems like a lie to me almost yeah um i'm sure well Roby will have more comment it says sorry go on no sorry no i mean he might have just missed it i said like he might just have not have been there that day but he called, other in, than that, he called in sick at that training <laughs> session other than that you're getting that session in aren't you yeah yeah that, the panel says they're gonna have it says we will comment on that later so I'm not sure what form that'll take maybe another world rugby statement um i know the referees and match officials all had another meeting the last couple of days since that statement um, and they sat for three or four or five hours going through all this stuff and trying to get a bit more clarity around the framework because it really seems on the outside for us media and supporters that we've got a real familiarity with what is a red card now and I think everyone yeah. was in agreement about those two Samoa examples but yeah you have match officials and it's not just a referee there's two assistant refs there's a TMO they even have a, a Hawkeye system now as well for the World Cup to try and give them better angles and yet still you're getting what seem like such obvious decisions and you're still getting them wrong it just seems crazy I know the referees are a bit frustrated about the kind of lack of clarity they've been given on their side and 
they feel they still don't know exactly which is a red card and what's mitigation and, and how that works. But we all have feared that there would be a bit of a, that there certainly would be controversies with this. And so has proven the case. Hopefully this is the last of them. And hopefully every other player has bloody studied the framework in depth. <laughs> but I, we, I, the one thing, and, and maybe I'm being a cynic, but I'm so fearful of now is some kind of refereeing backlash where there's going to be two complete clangers where, you know, there's red cards are brandished for completely legal tackles and then the whole thing just goes on and on and on and turns into a kind of tornado of comment and um, observation all around the world and it looks like they don't rugby doesn't have a clue where you know where they're where they're going to lie it's very important in a in a world setting for the growth of the game with parents watching and their young kids turned out to train and that there's clarity around the law and I know surprise I said Clive Woodward came out and said no this is ridiculous you know contact has to happen and then Peter Stringer had answered him and said not outside the legalities of the game you find a way to tackle and stop the player legally which was a, a great riposte so I think I think World Rugby are to be applauded for giving us all a real sense of clarity and ironically now the referees have missed three to five really clear incidents and a referee under pressure is not what you want ever because someone somewhere is going to be afraid they miss something and then we go the opposite end of the spectrum and some guy gets red carded for you know a knee high tackle that's perfectly legal so I'm scared now that that's going to happen but the rule itself surrounding the high tackle at Murray and the way that's refereed now is too vague to my mind like if you if you actually read it where it says a player's trajectory essentially has to change very suddenly in order for it to be deemed that he or she is kind of ducking into the tackle like it has to be a sudden drop and like Vasily Artemiev I wouldn't have said suddenly dropped in either of those instances against Samoa and yet that was used as the cause to not send off those two Samoan players mm. and I think that's the frustration for the referees that that's probably what Pop would say he said you know, he'll probably say, oh, "I wasn't sure what sudden, how how sudden is sudden." Yeah. <laughs> like the yeah, there is a terminology issue there, and it, I hope that that meeting that they had has clarified that in everyone's minds. I, I probably have similar concerns to Andy in terms of referees now being kind of on the lookout to to give those cards. But again, I'd stress like there's people around them. It's not just them, and you need the four of those, the team of four they call it, working together cleverly and without egos and without. Um, trying to abdicate the responsibility and let someone else make that decision. They got to. They got to nail these because everyone's watching now. Everyone's almost expecting poor decisions now. And again, everything comes back to that head injury, and you just want that out of the game. If people are putting shoulders into heads. It's got to be stamped out. Which way are you leaning in that one, Andy? Wales, Australia. Australia, I think. Oh, why so? Because they scored 47 points against the All Blacks about four weeks ago. And I know the All Blacks were undercooked that day, but any team has the capacity to do that in attack um, are worth consideration. And I think um, Wales are, are... I think it doesn't it wouldn't signify the end of Wales' involvement by any stretch. And Wales are good like that. They're good at peaking later when it matters. So I could see... Um, I'd see the Aussies maybe doing a job on this one and maybe Wales still featuring and being quite um, quite a threat later on in the World Cup. Before we wrap, Murray, Wales for you? Just about? Yeah, just about. I'll go for them based on the strength of their defence. I'll shut down the, the Wallabies set-piece attack, I think. Super. Well, Murray, we'll leave you go. Thanks, Millie, for joining us.
Thanks, my lads. Catch you again soon. Konnichiwa. Can you say that? Say goodbye. Like ciao. <laughs> Arrivederci. Yeah, I actually haven't figured that out because I thought it was I thought it was sayonara. But every time I say that, I get absolutely no response. No one says it back or anything. If you say Konnichiwa, they all say Konnichiwa back. If you say Arigato, they say that back as well. But I'm not sure. I need to look up what goodbye or see you later or something like that is because my sayonara is definitely not working at the moment. <laughs> Maybe but they just don't want you to go. Yeah, that's it. If you stay over there, you won't have to say goodbye. <laughs> We'll catch you again yeah, yeah, uh, they're, for... They're incredibly polite, though. Yeah, they're incredibly polite. But, um, yeah, I'll catch up with you soon, lad. Thanks a million. Yeah, we'll catch you in the morning for Rugby Weekly Extra. Andy, thanks a million for coming into the studio. Cheers, we'll catch yeah. you again this time next week, hopefully. And uh, thanks a million to you guys at home. Thanks for the questions in the 42 members WhatsApp group and to everybody listening. We will be back uh, for a members podcast in the morning and we'll be back again then on Monday with a regular podcast, if you're a member or not. So enjoy the rugby over the weekend. Uh, Have a good rest of the week. And until then, take it easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. (laughs) It is coming on! Rugby, rugby, weekly. Little reverse pass, and he's